If you're committed to transitioning to a new role outside of the classroom, let me give you some advice. Don't try to navigate this journey all on your own. The Teacher Career Coach course will walk you step-by-step through the entire process. When you sign up, you'll get help picking your career path, have access to a library of transition resumes for teachers written by a professional, and even gain access to a list of hundreds of companies that hire teachers. Most importantly, you'll join our exclusive private community to collaborate with others and network. I've dedicated my time putting together templates and resources to create the most thorough program to help save you time. Learn more about the Teacher Career Coach course at teachercareercoach.com forward slash course. After leaving teaching because of some serious burnout, she vowed to build the community she wished existed when she needed it most. She went from classroom teacher to an educational consultant, instructional designer, and six-figure business owner. Now, she's here to help you achieve happiness and work-life balance, whether inside or outside the classroom. Come join our discussion as we talk about managing teacher burnout, career transitions outside the classroom, starting a side hustle, and everything in between. Here's your host of the Teacher Career Coach Podcast and your new personal cheerleader, Daphne Gomez. Welcome to the Teacher Career Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Daphne Gomez. And in this episode, I interview Elizabeth Hill. She's a former French and Spanish teacher who now works as an e-learning developer, and she creates language learning materials for adults in the business world. Listen in as she shares her story to help inspire teachers who want to leave education to find work that makes them also feel happy and appreciated. Hi, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for being here today. Hi, Daphne. Thank you so much for having me. I am really excited to get into what you are doing outside of the classroom, but I always start off the podcast by asking a little bit about your experience in education. And you actually have a little bit of a different background than a traditional K through 12 teacher. I have a bachelor's degree in French and um, was able to teach in France for a year after college. I came home and did my student teaching, and then I taught for eight years in public schools, and I was also lucky enough to be certified in Spanish. So I was teaching French and Spanish, and then kind of on and off through that period, I've also worked with adults through the Alliance Francaise, which is like a French club for adults, and I decided to leave last February. So I've been at my new job for about 10, 11 months now. What stage of your teaching career did you really start to evaluate other roles outside of the classroom? So it wasn't really anything that I considered until maybe November of last year, November, actually it would have been November, 2021. So we made it through all the COVID times and I was still teaching at some points fully remote. And at other points it was remotely and with students in front of me at the same time. And then finally with all the students back, And that 2021-2022 school year actually started off really positive. And I was feeling like really happy to be back with my students, like doing what I loved. And then there was just kind of this crash that happened in like October, November. And, you know, the students were so burnt out. I was so burnt out. Behavior was not good. Motivation was not good. And I was just kind of feeling like, when I was teaching that there wasn't time to do my job at my job, that I was teaching five, sometimes six classes a day, 
with multiple preps and lots of, you know, emotional issues between students and just dealing with all of that felt like, cool, I just did that for eight hours and now I have to get ready for tomorrow. I just wish I had time within my day to do my stuff, to do my work. And, you know, I was kind of like looking around at people I knew and I was like, oh my gosh, some people just like go to work and sit down and they're like, what are we doing today? Or they're just able to go to work and have that eight or nine hours be their job and then they leave it and they're not up half the night wondering, did I say the right thing with that student? Did I do the right thing? Am I ready for tomorrow? What if the copier breaks when I arrive? You know, I could just never get there early enough or stay late enough to like get all of it done. And I was seeing people working remotely and I kind of thought like, that could be me. I could do that. Yeah. And what's interesting is I don't know you. (laughs) We just met right before Uh this podcast interview. Right off the bat, I feel like I can make the assumption that you're a little bit of an overachiever, but still, this was not a sustainable career for you. Yeah. I mean, I was a straight A student. I have a master's degree. I forgot to mention that part. I did my master's in French as well. You don't learn two foreign languages and not be like super type A. So I was a perfectionist. And I think that was part of the problem with teaching was that like everything had to be so good all the time. But I was also sort of starting to let go of that. I mean, I was working at a really cool urban school that had like kind of an environmental focus. So there was like this DEI aspect that teaching that was really interesting to me and felt really good. Um, And I was trying to let go of of those of that feeling of perfectionism and wanting everything to be so great all the time to accommodate students and meet them where they're at but it was just so hard and that was actually taking a big toll on me too is because i had to like almost become a different person and my priorities had to change and like all of that work was on me if i was unhappy and i had great bosses too but the message often is to teachers that if there's a problem, it's your fault. And if you're unhappy, it's your fault. Yeah. And like, what solution can you make to figure it out? What do you need to implement? And it's not how other careers are run. Other careers, you're able to say, hey, look, I'm going to put out a bullet point of here's 50 things that you've told me need to be done by the end of this month. It's not a reasonable amount of work. Mm -hmm. So let's figure out who can I delegate some of these responsibilities to. And most, not all, but most jobs are able to say, thanks so much for putting this together. That's really helpful. And it helps us understand what you have on your plate. Where teachers is like, okay, we see this. What are you going to do to be, be creative? And this is what the students need from you. Yeah. And that's kind of the end of it. And it's tragic what is happening to so many people right now, but it is not unique. And it happens to overachievers and straight A students and people with masters that never probably anticipated burning out in this way in this career. When you started looking for new roles outside of the classroom, what were your first steps there? So I had kind of an exit plan, again, very type A, but included in that was just kind of like talking to a lot of people about other things that I might be able to do, like just getting it out in the open, obviously not with my coworkers or my students, because that would be disastrous. But, you know, I remember I was at my husband's holiday work party, like 
What do you do? Do you like it? Are there openings? How much do you make? You know, people are having these conversations, I think, at least in our generation, and they're happy to share. Part of my motivation for doing that, I think, was to make connections. But also, I feel like sometimes we're in these echo chambers and like we know that a lot of teachers are struggling and we know that there are all these problems. But, you know, especially like a couple of years ago, I feel like so many people just don't get it and don't know. And so that was kind of part of my thing too, is like, I need people to know what this feels like. You know, I'm not a wimp. I'm not someone who's afraid of hard work and this is killing me. And so I just started talking to a lot of people about it. I had a list of about five people that I had worked for in various capacities. Um, I was a research assistant in college I had some good connections at Middlebury College where I did my master's. And I just kind of started sending out some emails saying, hey, I think I want out. I'm looking. Will you keep me in mind? And it ended up that I found a job fairly quickly. So I didn't need to rely on any of those connections. But having that kind of short list of games was really great. And listening to your podcast, of course, (laughs) was like a huge game changer for me. I got to be part of a Facebook group called Leave Teaching and Smile, where people were just sharing these stories of how their lives were so much better. I mean, I never saw anything about people being like, oh, I miss teaching. I'm going to go back. (laughs) And so finding that community online through Teacher Career Coach and Leave Teaching and Smile, just talking to people and also sort of getting my resume together thinking about what skills I had and starting that job search. I feel like that was the piece that was missing when I started this community, because when I looked around for my own career change, nobody was talking about it and no one would talk to me about it. No one would like Mm -hmm. acknowledge that what I was doing was the right thing or something that people did until I was on the other side. And then it was like, oh, here's all these other former teachers who work at these really big ed tech companies that you work for in a variety of roles. But there wasn't like an online community of, hey, how do I talk about this like judgment free? And it was pre-pandemic. But I felt like that community piece is the biggest piece to feel like, one, you know, you're not losing it. You're not overreacting or just, I think the default is that people are worried that the grass isn't going to be greener on the other side Mm -hmm. and that it's just all in their head and that they're not tough enough to make it. But we're highly educated and really amazing assets to companies. It's just the way that teaching is set up right now is not sustainable. And it's Mm -hmm. going to burn out a lot of people unless there are big changes. So I feel like finding that community really reinforces the idea of this is okay. This is normal. And I'm not alone in my feelings. And then also working with people is just such a great game changer. So it sounds like you found your job really quickly in um, your new position. Did you rewrite your resume? How did you find that job so quickly? I did do some work on my resume. Like I said, I kind of had this game plan and the plan further down the line was potentially going to be paying someone on Upwork or some other service to like rewrite things in a more non-education field kind of friendly way. 
in a more corporate way. So I, I ended up not having to do that, but I did listen to your podcast about rewriting resumes and changing some of the language. And I think that's such a big piece of this. Like so many people don't realize that your resume isn't being read by a human, that you need to have the right words to that are from the job search. And so like, that's a huge thing that I feel like so many teachers are like, oh, but I have all this experience. And won't they, won't they see that? And they literally won't because it's a computer. But on top of that, like to add to it, there is a human that's going to see it after that. Yes. And so I always want to tell you to be as cautious as possible because I heard you say that you almost went to like Upwork. There are plenty of people on LinkedIn or Upwork that are starting to not only sell resumes, but resumes specifically for teachers in transition. And obviously we do that on our team as well. We have a resume writer in-house. We have, you know, the teacher career coach course. But if you're looking at it, you want someone with direct experience that you can tell that they have experience hiring Mm -hmm. because there are plenty of people who are making it up and figuring it out. And a human being who is a hiring manager is going to see that as hot garbage also. Mm -hmm. So even if they can say it's an ATS friendly resume, if it does not make sense, if it does not actually translate into the role in front of you, a hiring manager is going to see that as well. Definitely. Yeah, you're absolutely right to point that out. So another thing that I was kind of thinking about in November, December, January was just doing like really quick applications. And I knew that I had spent all this time getting a master's in French. And so I was just like looking for any job that required French. And if the application took me more than 15 minutes, I said no. And the application that ended up resulting in the job probably took me, again, 15 minutes. And it was 10 questions, you know, about your cultural experiences, your language skills, how you feel about how people should learn languages. Like it was very personalized. And so I was able to kind of show what I was thinking. And I really appreciated that my company offered that kind of application. But I also know that so many jobs, you know, ask you to submit like a portfolio and all of this stuff. And that can be a huge drain on your time that like teachers just don't have. So I would say, especially in the beginning, if you can just find quick applications while also making sure that you're doing it correctly, that that's important too. Yeah, there's a couple of different fields that are very firm on you should probably have a portfolio. And then there are others that are more open to people just going through the regular application process. So you are a e-learning developer and I know instructional design is very portfolio heavy unless you have your foot in the door or you specifically have something in your background that translates into the role. Like I hire, uh, I had an interview with a former teacher who's an instructional designer working for the fire department and she used her science background to actually leverage into a role that she didn't need to show her portfolio on using like e-learning tools. But it sounds like you did the exact same thing I'd love to hear a little bit more about your resume, though, because what I already jotted down as like very impressive is that you not only were doing teaching and not only had multiple languages, but you also were teaching adults on the side. Mm -hmm. Did you make sure to highlight that in your resume for this role? Yeah, I even 
went back to, you know, I had taught middle school for a couple of those eight years. So saying that I had worked with people ages 12 to 90, I mean, I have like really old students in the Alliance process, but yeah, talking about the range of ages I'd worked with and also like really capitalizing on that COVID remote teaching experience because in the district where I was working, the students were not required to turn their cameras on. So I actually had to like flip things and make it so that I could have them do things that I could have them log into a game and see who was in the game and who's not and who responded to all the questions. And since the role was for like e-learning, all asynchronous, that was a perfect fit because I'm creating games and videos. And there was even a time during the lockdown where they hadn't distributed all of the computers. So like it literally was asynchronous and I would make a video of myself giving the lesson and I would embed questions and make sure that they were forms that they could fill out. So I'm sure like lots of teachers did that. And that should absolutely go into your resume of all the stuff that you did to make sure that your students could work remotely. And it was completely different and you had to learn it overnight. So just pointing out how adaptable I was and how I discovered all these programs. And I actually really liked teaching that way. And that became a big part of my interview strategy. So let's talk a little bit more about what your actual role and what your day-to-day looks like. Do you mind sharing for everybody listening, what is your job title and like, what does that even mean? Sure. Um, So I'm an e-learning developer at a language company that focuses on language for business. So we have large corporate contracts uh, with companies that need their employees to learn a language. The strategy is entirely immersion-based, so there is no English or Japanese on the page. And since French is my main language, I'm mostly creating business French lessons that are entirely in French. So for some people, they're starting on day one, and we need to figure out a way to teach them French, entirely in French. I'm creating videos, editing videos, selecting the images, writing activities, editing activities. Everything that you see on the page is what the e-learning developers, and we also have some designers on our team. So everything that you see, it's, you know, it's kind of like Duolingo. It's, it's not Duolingo, but everything that you see in front of you to learn the language asynchronously is what I do. It sounds like you work mostly in video editing and not as much in like an e-learning authoring tool. So for video editing, is that something that you came with an experience actually creating videos, editing them prior to this role? Or is it something that you're able to fine tune as you're working in it? So a lot of the work that I do is on an LMS, a learning management tool. That aspect of it feels kind of like being an editor. You know, I'm making sure that the questions make sense, that it looks attractive. And then there is this video component. And I learned all of that on the job. I had never opened Premiere Pro before I started. But for our last project that just ended last month, I edited about 800 videos. Oh, wow. So, you know, you learn quick and it's exciting. And I feel like that's a skill that could help me potentially move to other positions or it's, it's just a really great skill to have in my back pocket. And for people who are listening right now, that's an Adobe Premiere Pro is it's a little bit harder to learn and a little bit more expensive, 
But if you are looking to add video editing onto your portfolio or just onto your resume that you understand video editing, one of the ones that I found is a little bit easier to learn right off the bat is Camtasia. And I'll just have a link at teachercareercoach.com forward slash Camtasia. And learning at least one of the tools and being able to say, oh, I've learned this tool and it can translate into whatever they're using on their site as well, if that's something that's a prerequisite to apply. Yeah, definitely. Did you have to learn anything about graphic design prior or is there an in-house team that does the graphic design? Just interested as far as like how it looks aesthetically. Yeah, a lot of our work is done by freelancers. So we have writers that come in and we outsource a lot of the graphic design and things like that. But I have learned some Photoshop because there's thousands and thousands of photos that go into our programs. And sometimes we need to kind of like tweak those. So I've also been able to learn some audio editing skills. And probably one of the coolest things that I got to do this summer was work with a recording studio that had French speakers from all over the world. Uh, And so I was kind of supporting them and making sure that the lines were being read at the right speed and the right intonation, um, and then taking all that audio and making sure that it ended up in the right place so that we could make like animations. We have uh, these things called tree branching scenarios where you can kind of like interact with characters and you choose your responses in the language. Um, So just like getting to know people from all over the Francophone world and then also learning these tech skills to put all that in action was really neat. So it sounds like you're kind of wearing a lot of hats. And I know that companies basically make job titles that make sense for them, for the roles in front of them. Have you looked, do most companies call what you're doing e-learning developer? Or could this even be an instructional design role? I feel like it could be an instructional design role. But the impression I got from some companies' job postings was that you did need some kind of like qualification for scope and sequence or some kind of experience doing scope and sequence work, which I am doing now. But some people that do work more on the design side of things have completed not even necessarily degree programs, but kind of like online certificates in that type of thing. But I definitely feel like I could take the experience I've gotten in this developer position and probably apply for instructional design jobs just based on that. But I do know it it can be hard to jump right from teaching to instructional design. But I have seen a lot of online programs that you can complete that are fairly quick. Yeah, that's I got an instructional design role without formal experience. But I had also taught myself how to do video editing. And I was able to kind of show a portfolio. And I was already working at another ed tech company. So I had my foot in the door. As far as learning just how other companies run, it's going to vary from place to place of who works with the instructional designers, who works with the e-learning developers, if it's called, it could be even called like a learning manager, which sometimes that's someone who just does in-house trainings, or sometimes it's just their term for, we need someone to manage the learning experience for the customer, which it's not as intuitive. And it doesn't always 
translate as the exact same job on every single company's website when you start to look into it. When you got into this role, it sounds like you've been there for a little while. How's your work-life balance now? It's so much better. <laughs> um, it's essentially a nine to five. I mean, I start sometimes at 8.30. I can start at eight if I need to end at four. So there is some wiggle room in there, but I've never worked a minute past five. And when the day is done, the day is done. You know, I'm not saying like, oh, I'm done with this, but I have to do these other things or I'm not still thinking about it the way I was with teaching. So this has given me the chance to like do so many things after work and just have a really nice life doing things outside. I mean, I play on a trivia team once a week and I still tutor. I teach adults still. So just like having things outside of the home when you work from home, I think is really important. And I feel like I have so much more energy in the evenings to do things that I enjoy. Yeah, I love that. And then with this company, do you see a clear career path or like upward trajectory that you could work on if you wanted to continue to grow past this role? Yeah. Maybe the tricky thing about that is that like the next step up would be being a manager, which is like an entirely different set of skills. But I think teachers do make good managers. And I think this company is a really good fit for me because it allows me to use these languages that I love. And it feels like teaching, but it's not teaching. And it's just kind of like the right balance of being able to do what I'm good at and also have the life that I want. I heard you say that it felt like teaching, but it's not teaching. Was that something that you were really afraid of walking away from? Was that feeling of being able to teach? Yeah, I think it was just like a big part of who I was. And I even went to therapy for part of the process of like undoing that and looking for work and saying, maybe I don't have to be a teacher. But like I said, I still work with adults. I still tutor. So I get to kind of scratch that itch. And I really like making things. And that was a thing that I enjoyed when I was teaching. I mean, I was always making my own materials and that was like really enjoyable, but then I would have to actually teach it. And I was like, this is exhausting doing both. What if I could just do one? I don't know if you've listened to my past interview with Bonnie Hanks. She's a front-end software engineer, but we were talking about she was going into the next step, looking at curriculum writing, because she's like, is that what I like? Like She was trying to figure out what it was that she likes. And we had this really great conversation where I've read some career coaching books where there's these different types of sections of people. And, you know, curriculum writing is more like you love words or like editing and really just staring at words. But I think what she was missing was that she actually liked building. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you like building. I really like building. I like automations. Like I get really excited about tech tools and how they all talk to one another. And I actually get drained by staring at words for too long, but it's hard for us to realize until we start kind of learning more about ourselves, what it was that we really, truly loved about it. So you like creating learning experiences and helping people, but not necessarily all the other being in front of people nonstop, or what Mm -hmm. is it that you think that you, you disliked about teaching that you didn't realize? The constantly being on was a lot feeling like you can't have a bad day or that you can't 
react like a human sometimes and that if you did, you were punished for it. And like I said, I, I worked in a mostly supportive environment. I loved my colleagues and I still just felt like everything was my fault. And like, I was just carrying this huge weight and that I couldn't be a human, you know, you have to be superhuman. I haven't heard someone state it like that for a while. And it's like a punch to the gut. Like that is 100% accurate is you are not allowed to make a mistake or have grace because it's children. It's child, you know, children's education's gonna float over whether or not you graded this paper perfectly. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this child, you know, their future's ruined because you didn't go above and beyond with whatever your extra project-based learning activity was going to be. If you just like, oh, that was an off week and I just stuck to normal curriculum and I didn't really put like as much effort in creating this like highly engaging lesson, then I'm the bad guy. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that would fly if we paid teachers $100,000 a year, but we don't. And to make this jump to a job where the hours are very clear, I get to walk my dog for an hour at lunch, and I'm going to make $22,000 more. It's really hard to say no to that. I just think it's so sad that these jobs that are high impact, whether it be nursing or teaching, that there's like high impact in the sense that you're making a huge difference, but it's high impact on you and you pay the price. Mm -hmm. And it's all the money that you're not making and all the hours that you stay awake at night and put in after school. And I wish we could insulate teachers from that so that they could just do the good work that they do and have less of a burden. But it seems like they just get more and more and more. Yeah, I 100% agree. I hope that changes are on the horizon with how bad things have gotten. I'm hoping that this is the moment that people are paying attention and they're trying to figure out a solution, but I know it's not going to be an overnight solution. And I know many teachers are going to have to leave until it is a full solution. Mm -hmm. And that's not something that's going to be able to happen within a month because it's too complex of a problem. I'd love to finish the interview with my favorite question to ask former teachers, which is what did you learn about yourself during this process? I think I learned that I deserve to be happy and I deserve to be fulfilled and that there are lots of ways to do good in the world and also take care of yourself. I hope that if you're listening and you're still in teaching and you're unsure if you want to leave, like you deserve a good life. And if you have to leave teaching to do that, you should, because there's so many opportunities, especially post-COVID, thinking about so much remote work and finding things online. I mean, 10 years ago, we would have never been able to do what we're doing now. So I think if if you do leave, you won't regret it. But I also really respect that your podcast helps teachers stay in that want to stay in. And I think that the bottom line is you deserve to be happy and to have a good life, whether that's in teaching or out of teaching. And everybody needs to make the changes that they need to make to find that. And it it looks different for different people. I couldn't agree more. It's just so hard to realize that we are worthy of making changes to make us happy instead of putting other people first. Because I think a lot of our self-worth 
lies on the fact that we're helping other people. Like that's how we feel valuable as human beings is how helpful can I be? That's my self-worth. And so taking that part away and realizing like, I'm worthy of putting myself first. Like I'm just a good human and I get to do this is something that everybody needs to hear, whatever that means, if it's setting boundaries, if it's changing jobs and you're capable of doing it. And Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so happy for you. This is such a perfect job. When I looked at your resume and your former teacher experience in this job, I was like, ah, she found the best one for her. So I'm just so excited to hear where you go and what you do with this. And thank you so much for coming on and sharing. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for all the work that you do to support teachers in and out of teaching. And I can honestly say that your podcast and your materials made a huge difference for me. So thank you so much. I want to give a huge thank you to Elizabeth for coming on and sharing her story with this audience. If you're still listening right now, it's likely that you are very interested in learning more about these types of careers. And if that is you, I urge you to go back and listen to episode 72 and 73 of this podcast. 73, I interview the CEO of Canopy, which is a learning platform. And he is also a former instructional designer. And we just do a deep dive into learning instructional design. And then also episode 72, where I talk to an experienced designer who's a former teacher named Keith Missler. So those are great podcast episodes for you to go back to. It is 72 and 73. As always, thank you so much for being a listener of the Teacher Career Coach Podcast, and we'll see you on the very next episode. Mm -hmm.